Matthew chapter 21. This is a, uh, a text that you'll, you'll find over in Mark 11, uh, I think Luke 19, John 2. All of these have, have uh, some version of this text. And we're reading uh, the version in the ESV from Matthew. I want to read uh, verses 1 through 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, here again we gather uh, for the purpose really of hearing from you. Uh, it is you that actually change our lives. It is your spirit, Lord Jesus that moves in us and teaches us and helps us to grasp spiritual truths. It is you that we need. And so I pray now, Lord, for open hearts, open minds, uh, that they would hear whatever you have to say. For I know that you speak different things to different ones. So please do what you want to do tonight in these, your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is, uh, like I say, this is covered in, in every, um, every one of the four Gospels. The passage that is over where it says uh, in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold your king. That's, that's a prophecy that came from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was written by the prophet Zechariah. Anywhere, we're not really that sure, but anywhere from four to 500 years before Jesus. That they're announcing, here, here is Jesus coming. So the selection of riding in on a donkey with a, a colt beside them, that was not a random choice. Jesus being the Holy God, the Spirit, 
wrote this scripture you know, hundreds of years before. And so his selection of the donkey and the colt were quite in line with what prophecy had said. And he is their king coming into, to, to, into Jerusalem. And then whenever he came in, the crowd started shouting, saying, Hosanna. Uh, the choir sang a song, Hosanna. What that means is, Lord, save. Lord, save, or Lord, save us. Now, some of them, uh, it's, it's probably true that some of them were thinking about Rome, that Rome was in charge pretty much of, of most of the world then. And some of them were thinking, Lord, save us from Rome, save us from, from any oppressors. Actually, the, the, the Hebrew people, ever since I mentioned this morning the captivity of Babylon, there were several other nations or larger nations that conquered them over time so that they were under the control of somebody most of the time. And by this time here, it was mostly Rome. And Rome's control over them was, was several hundred years that they controlled Palestine and most of most of that. So whenever they see Jesus coming in, and they're familiar with Zechariah 9, it says, your king is coming. Do you, do you remember when Pilate questioned Jesus and said, are you a king? And Jesus knows. It, Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is literally the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. <clears throat> so he intentionally came in on, on this donkey with this foal that's coming along beside of them. And what they are saying, Hosanna, save us, save us. That's actually from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. And then there's another verse that says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is what you just heard in Matthew 21. So the, it, the, these are the fulfillments of the prophecies from Zechariah the prophet and from back in Psalm 118 and, and the prophets. And people wonder, because uh, it's kind of interesting that in verse 10, it says the whole city, city was stirred up, and they began to say, who is this? So uh, we live in a time today where we can't imagine people not knowing who Jesus is. But uh, in, in this time, Jesus had done most of his ministry, more, the majority of his ministry was in the northern part of Israel, up around Galilee and Capernaum and all those kind of places up in there. And so coming into Jerusalem, he had come in there several times into Jerusalem. It's like saying that most of his ministry was in Spartanburg, and, and every now and then he'd come to Charleston. That's what it was. So everybody in Charleston didn't know who he was. Jerusalem, of course, was the city, the capital. But when he in there, they said, who is this? And of course, it's interesting that the crowds called him. They said, this is the prophet, the prophet Jesus. Now, a prophet, in, in our understanding today, I think we, we've been kind of colored uh, by, the, by the culture that a prophet for us is somebody that predicts the future. But a prophet in the biblical sense is somebody that speaks for God. That's a person who speaks for God to the people. And so they're, they're recognizing, even people who didn't like him recognize that he spoke for God. So they would say, this is the prophet Jesus. But when they said he's from Nazareth of Galilee, that would be like saying he's from Podunk, you know, or, or he, he's from way out yonder. He's from McClellanville, or, or, or worse than that, he's from Union, my hometown. <clears throat> so, you know, they came from up there. And that's really a derogatory comment. I mean, they're actually kind of a sideways slap. I was, I was telling earlier tonight, uh, uh, Several of you have told me this, this morning that you could understand what I was teaching. 
And I told him about a story that a lady one time, I was standing at the back door, and a lady was leaving the church. This is when we were at, located at the Midland Park site. And she said, uh, you know, I understood what you said. You, you know, you're about the most simple-minded preacher I think I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, and, and I said, well, thank you, I think. I think that's good. I'm not sure. You know, but, but when, so when they said this is the prophet from Galilee, from Nazareth, it's kind of a sideways slap saying that he's a country boy. You know, he can't possibly be as sophisticated, as, as urbane as we are, as educated as we are, living here in Jerusalem. It's, we're a metropolitan-type culture and everything, but that's, that's who that is. When Jesus came into town, he went straight to the temple. When he got to the temple, he drove out all who bought and sold in the temple. Now, you need to understand that this was a, this was a practice that had developed over the years whenever people would bring their sacrifices. So if you wanted to, if you were a poor person, you would offer turtle doves or two small turtle doves, but you would buy them. You, you didn't bring them. If you came from the country in to go to temple, you would have to buy your offering. And so they would, there would be people there selling goats and lambs and sheep and turtle doves and whatever, and you could buy that. But it, it became a thriving business for people buying their offerings, but, but it was also, it kind of corrupted the practice of bringing a, an offering. You remember what David said, I, I will not offer that to the Lord, which cost me nothing. So they weren't really giving of their own. They were, you know, purchasing something on the way. And uh, Jesus said to them, he said, look, you've, you've taken the temple and you've made a business out of it. And the Bible says in verse 13, he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. He's quoting Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, where the prophet Isaiah says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And what he's saying there is he said, this is, this is what you do when you come here. It, and he's not just saying that the only thing you ever did in the, in the temple was pray. But he's saying that when you come into the temple, the, the temple that Solomon built, when you, well, this was actually the second or third, but he said, when you come into this place, you've come to encounter God. You, you know, it, it, is a, it is a meeting with God. It's not a business transaction. You come here to, to meet God. And the Bible says that then the lame came, the blind, people that needed him, and, and he healed all of them. And, and they tried to stop, and they said, look, did you hear them saying they're saying, Hosanna. They're saying that you're the king. They're saying that you're all of these things. And, and, they, and they basically said, stop the children from calling you the king. Stop the children from calling you Hosanna. And J Jesus, again, quoted Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. It comes out of the... So Jesus, when Jesus responded... Do you remember in the temptations of Jesus in Luke chapter 4? When every time the devil tempted him, how did he respond? Scripture. scripture. Every time he responded to the devil was with Scripture. And here, as, if, as these religious leaders are, are, are challenging his authority and his teaching, he responds with Scripture. And then he leaves and he goes to the home there in Bethany, and he lodges there. Now, now that's the story of, of what happened on, on um, the palm, what we call Palm Sunday. But I think the interesting thing is uh, that question there, when people said, who is this? You know, everybody has an answer for who is this. If you were to ask somebody, who do you think Jesus was? Uh, for us Christians, who do you think he is? 
But they, historians would say, well, who do you think Jesus is? I've watched uh, several debates between uh, noted atheists uh, that have uh, wanted to, to debate with some uh, scholarly Christians. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes we think there are no such thing as scholarly Christians. There's quite a few out there. Uh, there's one that's a professor in Oxford, Professor Lennon. He's one of the most brilliant men I've ever heard in my life. I happened to run into him, by the way, in Poland at a hotel in Poland when I was on a, a trip there and I ran into Professor Lennon. I sat and talked with him for a little while. But it, we just thought it was unusual for a guy that lived in Oxford, England to meet a guy that lived in Charleston, South Carolina who had met each other at a conference in some other city. And we sat and talked for a while. And he's just, just a brilliant man. But after a while, I had, to, I had to stop because I didn't understand what he was talking about anymore. He was, he was you know, a lot sharper than I am. But Dr. Lennon and several others would say, you know, th this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who became Jesus of Nazareth and lived a perfect sinless life on our planet, died on a cross in our place, was buried, was resurrected three days later, and now sits at the right hand of God. For us, he is the, the sinless, perfect son of God who took uh, the penalty for our sin setting us who believe in him free from the penalty and the power of sin. That's, that's our belief. That's, that's who we think Jesus is. But now, today, when you ask anybody who Jesus is, you might get a lot of different answers. You know, um, Jesus is named Issa in the Muslim faith, but he's not the son of God. He's, he's a prophet. They, they try to honor him just like they say they honor Moses, but, but they don't consider him God. They don't, sit, they don't think that he died on the cross. They don't think the Bible is the word of God. They don't, they don't think he was resurrected. They don't think he's in heaven. They don't think he's going to return a second time or none of those. But yet they have him in their faith. Uh, if you study some of the Hindu religions, they believe Jesus was one of the great teachers, one of the enlightened souls who uh, was born into a certain person and probably was born again into some other person's graduating on up, or, and they have multiple gods, but he's not the God. See, our faith is that Jesus is not a God. He is the God. And it's also one of those things that most of us, now I don't know, some of you may have got it, but to really articulate the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not three gods, but one God in three, try to explain that to somebody. But it's, it's a belief. We, we trust that. We know that, that God has revealed himself. So that is Jesus. So if Jesus is who he said he is, uh, I love what Josh McDowell said. Josh McDowell was probably quoting somebody. Most of us who say things uh, uh, are generally quoting somebody else. You know, I don't think I've ever had an original thought. So I, I, I read a lot and everything. But Josh McDowell said Jesus was either a liar a lunatic or the Lord? If you think about it, because Jesus made some, do you, do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes before the Father except through me. Wow. Um, G, uh, Philip said, uh, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, Jesus said, you are forgiven to a man lowered through the roof. And they said, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? And you can just see Jesus going, and? 
So Jesus is Lord, and that's who, that's who, who he is. Now, the reason I point that out for you is that what, what appears to be a historical event, just, just I mean, it is a historical event, but simply a historical event, is that Jesus came into the, riding the donkey on, you know, a few days before Passover. And that, you know, even people who are atheists will agree that, yeah, sure, that happened. But who he is, is a, is a conviction of our heart. It's, it's what we believe about literally who he is. You see, our lives have to be governed, Kurt's opinion, by convictions, commitments, and courage. There's a difference in a conviction and a belief. You know, uh, there's a verse in James, I should have looked it up uh, to know the exact reference, but it says, you believe in God, so does the devil, and he trembles. You know, there's a lot of people who believe in God. Now, that, that's a belief. Um, sometimes we'll talk to people, say, well, now, do you know what happens whenever you leave this life? And they say, well, I hope I go to heaven. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I have a faith that I am trusting. The way I tell them is I'm, I'm going to grab Jesus' robe and say I'm with him. That, that, that's what I know, my faith, my hope, my trust. And that is more than simply a belief, like, like I believe uh, Honda makes a better car than Toyota, or I believe that Carolina is going to win. Well, no, I don't actually believe that. Um, no. <laughs> Listen, I'm a Carolina fan. I've been praying for them for decades now. Um, but no, do you, you see what I'm saying? There's a difference in, in having a belief. Like, uh, like I, I believe that you should stir fudge this long, or I believe you should throw it up against the back to see if it... There's any number of beliefs we have. Convictions are things that you build your life on. Like believing that Jesus is God. Then when you believe that Jesus is God, and you start reading through this book, and you recognize that the God who wrote the Old Testament and the God who wrote the New Testament, using his instruments people, that he was not writing some neat ideas. He was actually writing truth. He was writing truth. And so it, it really is true that it's more generous to give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It, it's really true that forgiving people is better than holding a grudge. It's really true that being faithful to your spouse is a better way to live. All of those things are It's really true that being kind is better than being mean or cruel. And see, it, it's really belief. Those are convictions that we have. Once you make a conviction about who and what will be the authority in your life, then you start building the rest of your life out of that authority. That's why it's so frequent that those of us who are pastors and preachers and teachers regularly have to challenge congregations to place their faith in the Scriptures. Because it's uh, so, many, so many people do not. I saw an interview the other day. Have any of you ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? Ravi Zacharias is, is a theologian, an apologist. The other day he was on a, he was on a panel with several other uh, scholars. And, and they were talking about it. And uh, one of the things that he expressed that he thought was going to be a problem is that uh, popular culture listens to practically everybody. And they don't really know how to discern what is true. And, and what is false. The, the most popular um, 
Well, let me put. Let me see how high they put it. The most popular um, religious speaker in the world currently is a fellow named Joel Osteen uh, out of, out of Texas, and his books have sold more copies than practically any. Well, I think right now they're like the next bestseller. I think Rick Warren had the wild with purpose-driven life, but but uh, Joel Osteen's book. And uh, Dr. Zacharias was talking about, he was actually at a meeting uh, where they were having dinner. And uh, Mr. Osteen said to him, said, you know, I said, I, I had lunch the other day with an imam. Now, an imam is like a, like a pastor. We'll just say it's close enough. Uh, uh, in the Muslim faith. And, the, and the, Muslim, the imam said, you know, there's not that much difference in your faith and mine. And uh, Osteen said, oh, Really? He said, yeah, and he, they began to talk, and uh, Osteen was telling Dr. Zacharias, he said, I was surprised. We almost believe the same things. So Dr. Zacharias said, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> um, they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. They don't believe Jesus was crucified. They don't believe that he re was resurrected. And they don't believe that he's coming again. Now, what exactly is it that we believe alike? But now, the, the terrifying thing, not terrifying, but alarming. The alarming thing is how many people listen and watch and read these things and, and are not able to discern truth, to know truth or error. Um, he read one of the books. There's a book he has called uh, Your Best Life Now. There is no mention at all in the book of the cross. None. How do you talk about life without Jesus? How do you talk about life without the sacrifice of God's Son? For How do you talk about having your best life and not dealing with this thing that is common to every person called sin? And how the cross dealt with all that. So it's basically, now that's not a, you know, let's bash Joel Osteen kind of a, that's, that's just an example that I'm saying that, that many people are not able to discern truth and error primarily because we have, and this is Kurt's opinion, I know, we have a collection of beliefs rather than well thought through biblically based convictions. Do you, know, do you see the difference? Beliefs, you know, well, I believe this, I believe that. But convictions are things that you have found in the Scriptures that you are building your life on, that you are willing to, to bet your life on. If you were a poker player, I, when I was in the Army, I, we played poker, and we played this game. Well, I won't tell you what we played. It doesn't matter what we played. But, uh, but there, there's a thing you can do where you go all in. Any of all, all, the, all the sweet ladies are going, what is that? You know, all the guys are going, yeah, buddy, I remember that. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's when, when you're betting and you have your chips and everything and you think you have a really wonderful hand and you put everything you've got in the center of the table, you are betting it all that your hand will beat that hand. Well, if you're going, convictions are what you will go all in about, what you will, that the Bible is God's word. That, that Jesus is the Son of God. And those are convictions. And, and that's what motivated people to be willing to give their lives for the gospel. The martyrs of the first couple of hundred years in Christianity, 
The reason they were martyrs was because they believed. And they did more than believe. They had convictions. And that conviction led them to make commitment to Christ. You know, we sang that song, you know, uh, I, um, what was it we sang this morning, Follow Jesus? Yeah, I knew that. I was getting around to it. I, I have decided to, don't, sometimes I forget. <laughs> I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, that's a pretty big commitment. That's why one of the things I've been encouraging pastors to do is not just to invite people to be saved, but to become disciples of Jesus. You know, there's a difference. People just want to get saved to go to heaven when they die. Jesus says, count the cost. He says, look, you know, what, what Jesus has come, when you say Jesus is Lord, that's not just expressing a belief, because the devil believes that. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're making a commitment to follow him. When we do baptism at River Bluff, uh, well, I don't, don't do it anymore. I don't preach there that, meant that often. But when we do baptism, before we baptize, we say, have you professed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in your life? And they answer. And then we say, who is Jesus to you? And we use the confession that goes back um, actually a couple of thousand years almost where they say, Jesus is Lord. And that's a really big commitment because uh, uh, during the time of Caesar, you had to say Kaiser Kurios, which meant Caesar is Lord. When you got saved, you would be baptized, you would say Jesus Kurios, which means Jesus is Lord. Whenever they would capture Christians and they would try to get them to recant their faith, what they asked them to do was to say Kaiser Kurios, to say Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't say that, they died. Wow, could you imagine us being in those kind of positions today? I, I can't. But, but see, may, having made that commitment, you choose, I'm going to follow Jesus. See, Jesus had the conviction that God was going to raise him from the dead, that he was dying for mankind. So he rode into town. Jesus had a commitment to pursuing God's will. I'm going to follow God's will. Even, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there's another way, nevertheless, your will. One man said that uh, hell is basically where God says to us, your will be done. Christ said, Father, your will, and even if it's the cross, I will go. That's, that, it's that kind of commitment. But then that conviction and that commitment leads us to have courage to live in the world we live in. That we need courage like I talked about this morning if you were here in, in order to be able to live as disciples of Jesus in the current culture we can't do away with any of those three there has to be conviction that we're, that we're, we're not just trying to manage our sins we're actually learning a new way to live learning to live as Jesus would live we trust, we trust his word about everything and we've committed ourselves that it will take the rest of my life, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to be adjusting my life to the teachings of Jesus. And whenever we are opposed by the world, the flesh, or the devil, we have the courage to say, nevertheless, here I go. I'm living this particular way. I think God can take people like that, like the courage of Jesus, people who have conviction, who are committed and have courage. I believe God can take a handful of people 
and change the world. I really believe it. I believe we can make a difference in Hanahan. We can make a difference in Charleston, South Carolina, and the world. If Jesus can do it with 12 and then 120 and then 3,000, what could he do if God were to take Highland Park Baptist Church, just take, take, take a handful of you who said, you know, I'm his. I belong to him. And I'm committing my life to learn how to live as he would live if he were me. And I'm going to live that way and taking every bit of that and living Christ's way. Now, Jesus went into the temple on the day of the Palm Sunday. He went in there. And you know, the temple's not there anymore. Any of y'all been to the Holy Land? Several of you? Uh, well, all that's left is one of the outside walls. There's nothing of the actual temple that is left there. Uh, if, if you would, Dick, would you pull up uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17? Jesus went into the temple, and he cleaned it out. <laughs> he did. He cleaned it out. He said, all right, uh, all of these people out. There isn't a temple anymore. There's not one there. Matter of fact, uh, the Muslim Dome of the Rock sits on the site where the temple was. That's what's there. The, if you ever see the Dome of the Rock, uh, I've been inside there. That's actually where they think the rock where Abraham offered Isaac, that that's what that rock is. That's why they call it the Dome of the Rock, that it is in there. The temple is gone. Where is the temple now? Yeah. Read this aloud with me. We're going to do both verses, Dick, if you don't mind. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And the, oh, that's good enough. Stop. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, do you have verse 17 too, Dick? I'm sorry, it's my fault, my fault. First Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Ready? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, I want you to read that again. And where it says, you are, I want you to say, I am. You ready? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and I am that temple. That really should impact you greatly. You know, it's, uh, it's not like... Every time we leave church, God, God stays here. He sits on pew number four and waits on us to come back next Sunday. You know, we do refer to our church buildings as God's house many of the times, but this is God's house. God lives in you. And everywhere you go, He goes. He is with you. One other passage, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Ready? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, the context of this is he's talking about sexual immorality. But he's laying out a, a scriptural truth that Christ says, 
the temple of God is your body. So glorify God in your body. How would Christ clean out our bodies today? Kurt's opinion. This is what conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, repentance, asking forgiveness, and receiving that forgiveness for sin, that is the cleansing of the temple. That's the cleansing of this temple. So every time you, you come to the Lord in prayer, and, and you're, you know, there's the scriptures speaking to you, and let's say that, I'll just pick a random sin, let's say that the Lord says you're being prideful. If you want to cleanse the temple, what you do is you confess it. Now, confess is, is a homo legeo, which means to say the same thing. It doesn't mean to admit it. He already knew. It means to say the same thing. So when you confess sin, you agree with God. So if the Holy Spirit conviction says, you know, you got a little pride thing there working in you, what you do is you agree with him. Lord, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I see that. And I, I ask you, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me, please? I, I don't want that in my life. God, the Holy Spirit, will cleanse the temple, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, obviously, that he will cleanse the temple and forgive you of that sin. And you are forgiven. You are forgiven. But then one of the practices that I have is that I ask the Lord, what should I replace that with? So if, if pride is the sin that God convicts me of, what would I ask him, what would replace pride? Humility. Humility. Yeah. Lord, so I'm asking you to help me to learn to live humble. You know, if, if he shows me that I'm being greedy, what would be the thing I replace that with? Generosity, giving, you know. If I'm, if, if I'm failing to forgive people that I should forgive, the Holy Spirit will convict me of that, help me to cleanse the temple, say, start forgiving. And forgive every t until, do you see how that works? And so we can have this experience of the temple, so to speak, being cleansed when we go to the Father, when we bring our, ourselves before him. And rather than running from God whenever we're convicted of sin, which so, you have noticed how many people, it's like I don't want to spend any time alone with God. He might convict me of sin. I'm going, oh, please, God. Please, please show me. Show me because we don't believe sometimes that sin is destructive as it is. Show me what sin is there so that I can repent of it, agree with you, and you can cleanse the temple and teach me a new way to live, a good and better way to live. That's the cleansing of the temple. Well, I'm going to stop there. Good gracious, I didn't mean to go that long. I apologize. Uh, I meant to give you all a, you know, 45 minutes to meet in small groups, but you're not going to be able to now. Um, Thank you again for being so patient with me. Forgive me for talking for so long. I, I like what I do. And so uh, it, uh, sometimes I keep you too long. <laughs> well, let me, let me pray for you, and then you can go home or watch the ball game or whatever. Are they playing tonight? They are? Who's playing tonight? Loyola still in it? Duke in Kansas tonight? Duke still there? Boy, how many times has that been said in the last 20 years? Duke still there? <laughs> you know, yeah. Let, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, um, for your love. Thank you for uh, allowing me to teach. I, 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 I ask your forgiveness too, Lord, if I went too long. Uh, I ask that you would bless the people called Highland Park Baptist Church. Pour out your spirit on them and 
Um, make them into the people you want them to be and take take the teachings I've tried to do over the last month and Lord I pray that they would produce fruit in them that is of your kingdom and for your kingdom purposes. Uh, bless them now Lord and in Jesus name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.